want to invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples at a time when they said, we don't really know how to pray. It was their way of saying, we are not really sure what to say, what to make of all of this. Jesus, will you help us? And he gave these words, a prayer that we can pray today. So as you pray with me, and I invite you to pray with me, know that you're actually saying the words of Jesus in your mind, in your heart, and yes, out of your mouth, Jesus' words. I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, hey, it's great to be with you. And I welcome you to worship here at Providence Church. My name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And for the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about evil. I wonder, do you believe in evil? Um, maybe a better way of kind of thinking that through is, have you seen evil? Have you experienced evil in your own life? It's a word that we hear, and I found, and you'll see, that most of us actually do believe in evil. Most of us have seen it, but trust me when I tell you that it is a word and a concept that is sort of cloaked in mystery that we're going to dive into a bit right now. When evil shows up first in our story, in the very beginning, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, evil shows up very mysteriously. Let me read it to you, Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, let me stop there, which is not what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. God did not say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden. Actually, what God said was, you can eat from any tree in the garden. What God said was, you can eat from any tree in the garden except one. If you eat from that tree, you will die, which sounds like God is actually trying to give some really good advice. And so the woman, Eve, says back to the serpent, to the snake, she says, no, that's actually not what God said. God didn't say we can't eat from any tree in the garden. God said you can eat from any tree in the garden, just not this one. And the snake says back to her, he says, you won't die if you eat from that tree. He says, God's trying to trick you. God knows that if you eat from this tree that he said not to eat from, that you'll actually be like God. Well, if you read the story, you see that God was not trying to trick the man and the woman. Actually, the snake was. The snake was evil. Here is evil. At the beginning of our story, a snake in the place that God had made, trying to trick the people to take a hold of the one thing God said don't take a hold of. A snake, which is so clearly an image of evil in the garden. 
Even today, if we, if we see a snake, we feel kind of yucky, right? Like, except for those of you who have pet snakes and y'all really weird us out. It's like, you got evil in your house. I'm just kidding. Um, no, no snake emails, okay? I'm just joking around. But the snake in the garden deceives the man and the woman. The snake tricks God's creation and they sin against God and they experience great destruction in their lives, evil. But rarely do we ask, why was there a snake in the garden? And when we do, we step deeper into this mystery of good and evil. Why evil in the garden leads to why evil? Like, why evil? And if you have ever troubled yourself with this question, which most humans have, the question is a big problem. In fact, in the history of human philosophy, that's what it's called, a problem. This question of why evil, and then you throw God into that, which is like, God, why did you allow evil? Wait, God, did you allow evil? Why, God, is there evil? Why is there suffering? It's a problem, and in philosophy, it's oftentimes called the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. C.S. Lewis would call it the problem of pain. And you can spend a lot of headspace and a lot of brain waves and philosophical arguments on it, which I think is a worthy exercise but won't exactly be my focus for today and the next few weeks because I'm not spending a month on evil so we can have heady conversations around questions that are difficult to answer. I'm talking about it because the problem of evil is a personal problem for every person that's hearing me talk right now because evil and pain and suffering is known to you personally, not just in your college philosophy class. And that's why I'm asking you Have you seen evil? Have you experienced anything that was evil? Well, it can be quite a problem. For many who do not believe in God, they list this problem as exhibit A in why God does not exist. And we can see that, right? So the existence of evil is for many a way of sort of proving the non-existence of God. Randy Alcorn says, more people point to the problem of evil and suffering as their reason for not believing in God than any other. It's not merely a problem, he says, it is the problem. George Beekner, a German playwright in the 19th century, called the problem of evil the rock of atheism. It's such a problem. And so you can probably understand, some of you who know me, a couple of my whys for talking about this. One is we've always hoped to be a church for people who don't believe or who don't yet believe. If you're watching right now and have been so troubled by this problem that you have concluded there is no God, I am so thankful to have a few moments to talk it through with you, not to convince you. In my 20-year run, I've never convinced someone intellectually to believe in God. It may be because I don't have the intellectual capacity or stamina for that. But what I do want to do is offer up what I believe is the only answer to the problem of pain. But you'll have to stay with me all the way to the end of the sermon to hear it. My second reason for talking about evil is for you, Providence Church, those of you who are faithfully with us week after week after week. And the reason is, if our faith has no preparation for encountering evil in this life, when we do see evil and experience evil, we will wander off into disillusionment and maybe even destruction. We are getting ready. This is a getting ready series for us because we are facing evil. 
real evil, real suffering, real pain in our real lives. And God promises to deliver us from evil. I'm not trying to stir you up right now, okay? I am not throwing out scary words to get you in a frenzy. I'm not giving you a new conspiracy theory, some mysterious evil that isn't really real. What I want to talk to you about is what the Bible says is really real so we can actually take our attention off of any fake evil that has no backing. I said last week that we need to be discerning in this time, and what I mean by that is let us discern together what is really coming against us, and then we can stand together against evil as the people of God. I have four statements that will guide us through the next four weeks, if you are willing to hang in there with me. And these four statements are based on Scripture, but they'll give us some foundation to kind of walk through this mysterious topic, because there's going to be a lot of times where you're like, I don't really understand that. Uh, I'm going to need someone else to explain that to me. But here's sort of four statements that you'll hear all the way through in these next four weeks. The first is this, evil is real. Nowhere is that more clear than the Bible, and so we'll be looking in the Bible about what it says about evil. What's interesting, though, is that the Bible does not only give us a clear explanation of the reality of evil, it also gives us all the questions as well. How long, O Lord? What are you up to, God? And so evil is real, and we struggle with it in the mystery. The second statement is God can deliver us from evil. It's a promise that Jesus puts into a prayer for his closest followers. And we'll be praying the prayer and talking about why Jesus gave the words, deliver us from evil. The third statement is, we don't have to fear evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And if there's ever been a year that has felt like walking through a valley of the shadow of death, it has been this year. Currently, we still walk through a valley with the shadow of now over 400,000 American deaths. We're walking through that. And make sure you understand that the promise is not that you won't get sick. The promise is not that we won't encounter any suffering. The promise is we don't have to fear evil in the midst of a dark place. And then the fourth statement is this. We take a stand against evil. We are not going to hope to make it through tough times together. We're not going to pray weak, ineffectual prayers to a God to maybe get through the day. We will call upon the power of God to deliver us, and we will do that just standing up against evil. So I've waited long enough on this next question that we have to look at, and that's simply, what is evil? Well, If we get our cues from this garden exchange, which is sort of what uh, Christians uh, in the Judeo-Christian lineage do, we get our cues from this garden exchange. If we get our cues from what happens with this mysterious snake, then we see that evil in its purest form is just when we put someone or something else in God's place. Now, that's not the expression of evil. That's not usually what we think about with evil. The expression of evil looks like seeking to harm someone or subjugating a whole people group, or cheating on someone. That is evil expressed. But if you trace it back, evil starts with putting someone or something else in God's place. This is often called idolatry. And it is the first commandment, if you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is to not put any other God before our God. You shall have no other gods before me. When we do that, put other gods before our God, evil just follows behind. So when we worship something as God that is not God, 
We are walking in to evil. It may not look like our usual conceptions of evil, but if you put someone else's God who is not God, that's evil. Of course, evil looks like what we might think, like the, the murder, a brother of a brother, one of the first evil things that happens in the scripture. Evil looks like a holocaust. Evil looks like neglecting a child. But all of those start with putting something else in God's place. Some philosophical definitions of evil say that evil is just the absence of good. But guys, for those of us who follow Christ, that's not enough. For Christ followers, that is not a good enough definition of evil. Evil is not just the absence of good. Slavery in America was not just the absence of good. It's not nothing. It was a corruption of good that started with another God somewhere on a throne in a real person's heart, in a real person's life. All evil starts with the heart of one created by God who tries to take God out of God's rightful place. Even the biblical understanding of Satan, the devil, which we'll explore a little bit, was that Satan was at one time a holy angel created by God. What's an angel supposed to do? Be in God's presence and exalt God. But Satan preferred self-exaltation over God-exaltation. So what is evil? It's when you and I start living like anybody but God is God. All the stuff that comes from that leads to destruction. And so what I'm realizing <laughs> is this is actually harder than I thought. And the reason I'm talking about it today is we want evil sometimes to just be some horrific act that we would never be a part of. But evil is when we make anybody or anything our king but Jesus. And that's why my pride and my greed, and my lust, and my envy are dangerous because these are things that seek to put me up on a throne. These are ways I try to take hold of the one thing God said, don't eat. So evil is real. I'm not going to be real great at being philosophical for long because I just find myself to be a practical person. And this problem is very practical. Evil will lead you to walk out on your family because you want to get your needs met. Or it will make you make that business deal that's not really a business deal. It's a lie, and you know it. Evil will isolate you. It will punish you. Listen, guys. God has all the power over evil and all the powers of evil. He can deliver us from evil. We know how the movie ends. But the evil one will try to trick you where you will walk yourself out of the garden because you thought you wanted to be God for a day. So this is sort of the heart of evil. But this big problem <laughs> that we've only begun talking about is not easily summed up in all that I've tried to sum it up with. Because, listen carefully, not all suffering and pain that we face is traced back to some idolatry on our part or on your part. When we face a natural disaster or a pandemic, we begin to ask some big questions about the role of God and sometimes even the heart of God. What I was just talking about was the kind of human evil caused by sin, and that will be our main exploration over the next few weeks and how we can stand up against that. 
But just for today, let's linger for a few more moments on this mysterious problem of pain. Throughout human history, there have been many attempts at answers for why there would be famine or cancer or war or tornadoes or violent dictators. Randy Alcorn has a great book. It's called If God is Good. So if you want 500 pages or so on this, I highly recommend it to you. And he sums up, and I'm going to use his language for the summary of this, sums up six ways that we can look at the problem. So these are kind of six ways to try to help us look at the problem that people have used all throughout history. The first is sometimes people just say there is no evil. So that's one way. There is no evil. Some religions go this route. Hinduism goes this route by just denying the existence of evil and denying the existence of suffering. These ways of thinking just say it's just life. Everything's life. Even uh, in, with the Hindu traditions, everything's God. This is all God. This is all life. There's no pain. There's no suffering. This is like a doctor telling you, uh, you only think you're sick when you know you're dying. This explanation, it doesn't hold up to any human who looks at Holocaust or hunger or slavery. Anybody says there is evil. The second way of looking at the problem is just to say there is no God. <laughs> so as I said before, many people look at the existence of evil and say, there can't be a God. How could you have evil and then have a God? Really, though, I think the existence of evil is actually not uh, saying there is no God. It's actually a question to God about God. So when we see evil and question evil and the existence of evil, we're actually uh, acknowledging there has to be a corruption of something good which sort of looks to another God. So the existence of evil is really a question about God. Who are you? What are you doing to a God uh, that must exist? So if God exists, here's some other ways of looking at the problem. Some might say that must mean God has limited goodness. So if you believe this, you no longer have that problem, but you do have another problem. God is good, we think, but it must be limited that we would see such pain and such evil. Why would a good God, if God is good, why would God allow that? C.S. Lewis, who became one of our greatest Christian thinkers and authors of the previous century, began his journey as an atheist. And he has a lot of writings about how he thought and what he was going through in that time. He said that people would ask him, why don't you believe in God? And he would say, our history, talking about humans, our history is a record of crime, war, disease, and terror. If there is a God, he must be indifferent to good or at least have limited goodness. Another way of looking at the problem is to say that God must have limited power. This is a lot of times where we might fall, right? God is good, but it looks like he doesn't get into every situation. God is good, so his power must be limited. My first semester in seminary, which is like a graduate school for pastors, was in 2002, so right after the terrorist attacks at 9-11. And the first paper that I was asked to write as a seminary student, my first class, which was called Christian Ethics, had to be titled, Where Was God on 9-11? I was 22 years old trying to answer the greatest question in human history, the problem of pain. It was a setup, of course, but I didn't know it at the time. This was my first time to really struggle through what it meant about my belief about God's power because I believed I had tasted and seen that God was good. I believed God to be good. I'd given my life to this God. But as I explored this problem, the 9-11 attacks were such a real and obvious evil perpetrated against innocent people. Where was God? And I struggled my way through this paper. Every sentence 
making God sound weaker and more distant. God is really good. He just doesn't stop terrorists. I couldn't quite write it out. I didn't know what to do. I remember my grade on that paper. I will not share with you. But mostly I remember what my Catholic priest, professor of Christian ethics, wrote with red ink on the front page of the first paper I wrote in seminary. He was writing about my description of God, and he wrote in red ink on the first page. He said, what the heck kind of God is this, Jacob? Except he didn't say heck. Catholics, they're awesome. (laughs) But he was saying, this kind of God that you're describing, this limited, weak, far-off God is not the one described in our story And he's not the one who can save us. Final one, uh, another way of looking at the problem is to say that God has limited knowledge. Maybe he just doesn't see it. Maybe he doesn't know all that happens behind closed doors. Maybe God experiences life like we do, sort of in real time. No. So, all that to say, I believe that historic biblical Christianity with the real Jesus, has the only answer for the problem of pain. Hear it, but don't think that I'm going to try to answer every question. That's not what faith is, guys. It doesn't explain why a snake was slithering through the garden or why an angel fell from heaven. But here's what our faith leads us to say. God is all good. There is no blemish or fault or weakness in God's goodness. There is no end to the scope of his goodness. There is no boundary on how good God is. And God is all-powerful. He can do all things, and he has the power to do all things in our lives right now. And God is all-knowing. He sees and knows all the suffering you feel And all the evil you have faced and all the evil you will face, he knows the evil thoughts of evil people conspiring to hurt his children. And God hates evil. God is against evil. Evil is the absence uh, of good, but it's not just the absence of good. It is the corruption of God's intended good for his creation, and God is against it. And God will ultimately judge all evildoers. So God will pronounce judgment on evil, but usually not on our timetable. There's a verse that says, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. (laughs) Which is just our way of saying, like, when are you going to do, God, what you say you're going to do? Let me read the whole verse to you. It says, God is not slow In keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, instead, listen, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see what this verse, which is about God coming and judging the world and making all things right, is about. It's saying that God has a bigger plan than what we can see, and that God's intent and heart is that no one should die, that no one should face evil that no one would come against someone that would abuse them or, or hurt them or set them aside or forget them. God is working, and sometimes it seems like God is slow, but we should not understand God's slowness the way that we look at time. God is actually patient 
and working a plan so that no one should perish and that everyone, even those of us who do evil, would come to repentance. So let me review those statements and close. God is all good. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God hates evil. God will ultimately judge all the evildoers and God will one day remove all evil and suffering and accomplish a greater eternal good. God is working. I am not asking you today to believe in evil. My guess is you've seen it and you have experienced it. What I'm inviting you into is to trust God, to trust that God is good, to trust that God has the power to bring us through, to trust that God knows what you're facing. He knows where you are and he knows how to get you through. You see, guys, God will deliver us from evil for his is the kingdom and his is the power and his is the glory forever and ever, amen. Next week, we're gonna talk about how we can actually walk and live in this world and have no fear of evil. Let us worship together.